This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. This is a great look at formation as the green flag flies and the Honda Grand Prix of Alabama roars into turn number one with Venus VK in the lead. And VK will hold Point Pato Award right behind him. Then it's the machine of Scott McLaughlin able to make up a little ground. Venus VK, the field clean through turn number four. And Pato Award has swung around the outside of Renus VK on the outlap. The Mexican driver is on the throttle. Jake, he just got around Renus VK. Major implications for this race. Win. And now, all of a sudden, Award is putting Renus VK in the rearview mirror, doing so through turn number nine with a sizable gap now to Renus VK. Alex Pelot goes long, and he's able to get himself into second. Pato Award blitzes around him, and now the NTT IndyCar Series champion on cold tires, Jake. He's going to have to hold off Renus VK, essentially for the second position. So that's the question. Is he going to be able to hold him off in turn number eight? Is VK going to be able to get Pelot? He is not at this point. Clint Checker's out, and he'll go to victory lane. Pato Award, he wins the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. I knew the opportunity was going to be right when we were on his gearbox exiting for for the final stint. Yeah, once we got in front of him, we 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 just cruised to the win. I guess uh, it was just very comfortable. And either this, this this car has been awesome all weekend. Uh, we we just missed Paul, and we got the job done. Uh, we got the job done today. <laughs> Welcome to May. This is from Indianapolis. It's not quite time for the Indy 500 yet, but we've got the first of three IndyCar races to kick off the month of May. Yesterday's event from Barber Motorsports Park, the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. Pato Award wins over Alex Pillow and Renus VK. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. We'll get to that and much more on the program tonight. At Kevin Lee 23, at Kurt Cavan, Kevin, Kurt, Sam Rumsa is in our MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters. We're here every night, 7 until 8 o'clock throughout the month of May, weeknights. Uh, coming up at 8 o'clock, it's Beyond the Bricks with Jake Query and Mike Thompson. So two hours of racing conversation. An off weekend next week, then the IndyCar GP uh, coming up on the 13th and the 14th. And then on, what does it see, it'd be Tuesday the 17th, I think it is, is the start of Indy 500 practice for the next four days, a couple of days of qualifying, a Monday practice, and then the 106th running coming up the last Sunday in May. Thanks for joining us tonight. Your input is welcome and appreciated. Fun race yesterday, a little bit processional for a while, but heated up nicely after that final pit stop, Kurt. Well, it was professional, <laughs> processional is the word. It was processional at the front part of the field. The rest of the race, the guys in the back, boy, they were scrapping like a boxing match. They were, they were after each other. Uh, there were some, some punches delivered, if, if you will, and we'll talk about that tonight, I'm certain, because it's all been all, all the rage of social media today. But there was some bumping and some uh, bruised egos and, and uh, irritated drivers at the end of the race. And I can see why, because it wasn't just a couple of hits in one particular turn. There was uh, contact in several spots, and there was a borderline blocking. Um, so it, it had just a little bit of everything in the, in the back. But you're right, the front part of the field, they were all on two stops. They just needed to make their fuel number. They needed to make sure they stayed out of trouble, and they did that. And Pato Award comes through with a very much-needed victory. A great start to the month of May. And he's going to be one of the drivers to watch as we roll to this Indianapolis 500. It's interesting that you first said the word professional, and that would be the opposite of what some yeah. felt about some drivers being unprofessional. We'll get to that, but let's first talk about how the race was won. Renus VK dominated uh, the first two segments and it essentially became it was open for both strategies and both strategies i would have loved to see how that would have played out i think it was still the two-stop strategy that was the way it was likely going to work out just like it did last year but Pato award used a three-stopper last year and finished five seconds back or something like that but the front runners were all planning on doing two unless the tire wear was just awful and they couldn't make the fuel 
The top teams were telling me, we think we can get that done, but it's going to be close on both accounts. Once the race got started, they were making good enough fuel, and, and the Firestones were lasting pretty well. But those mid-pack and beyond were almost immediately thinking, we've got to do, at least some of them were thinking, we want to try to do something different. Marcus Erickson was one of those, Joseph Newgarden, coming in for a three-stop strategy. And the reason that didn't work was because of the caution. Because if you're doing three stops, what you need to happen is you need it to stay either caution-free or the caution come out right after you've made a pit stop and force the hand of some of those that have yet to make the, their next stop. So once that caution came out, whatever it was, lap 32 for the Callum Eilat spin, that was close enough to the, the second stop being needed for the three stoppers that they had to go ahead and come in. And that essentially put them back on even strategy, everyone needing one more stop the rest of the way, but they had lost their track position. So I think maybe New Garden or something was the best of that lot. Maybe it was hurt. I'm not sure, but 16th, 17th, something like that. So they would have had to pass all their way to the front. And the caution then meant that those at the front really didn't have to save much fuel. Uh, so that's how the two-stopper became the easy choice. But there were other scenarios where that could have worked. So the three-stop try was still worth doing. So VK is is dominating. He's not dominating. He's in control. Pato is right behind him. Polo and others are are within range. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to why it took a little while to see this in a moment, but I chatted with Renus VK on the, the Peacock post-race show afterwards. And he said, uh, so he makes his final stop and they beat out Pato Award. And uh, I think Alex Pillow came in a lap later, but he beat out Pato Award and there was someone else. Oh, uh, McLaughlin pitted in the, at the same area and, and they were all real close to each other. So I could see all of them and VK's crew won that race. So he gets out first, and you're thinking, job done. But then Pato gets him on the cold tire outlap going into five. And I don't know if this um, got out everywhere, but but Rena said, I was so focused in my mirrors and trying to keep in behind me, defending the best that I can, I forgot to use push to pass, which is what you want to do on the outlap uh, anytime that you're battling for position. And then – Generally, what they tell the drivers is that you can use it for the first couple of laps, and then you need to settle in and make your number. He forgot. Pato got by him. And and then Alex Pillow, like he always does, makes the fuel last a little bit better. He has great in-and-out laps, and then he jumped Renus VK to get to second. But that was the difference in the race. Yeah, a lot to you know, kind of absorb if you're not – you know, a diehard uh, follower of the series, as the two of us are. But, you know, the good news is the cars that dominated the race at the front or the cars that spent the most amount of time up there, they really kind of settled it amongst themselves. There was no trickery to this. There wasn't a, you know, the fuel strategy was unique and, and somebody jumped them. You know, Pato had qualified uh, second. Polo had qualified third. And Renus VK had qualified on the pole. So, you know, they finished first, second, and third in that order after starting second, third, and first. So that's kind of the way you'd like to see it. The interesting factor was Will Power as he charged all the way back uh, from the from the 19th starting spot to finish fourth. That was fun to watch. He was uh, kind of on the gas uh, the whole way. And, uh, and Scott Dixon rounded out the top five with another Scott Dixon type day, finishes fifth when he probably shouldn't have been one of the five best cars, but uh, he starts uh, 13th and makes his way up to fifth and again, does what Scott Dixon does. Will Power said he thinks it's one of the best drives that he's had in a long time. That was super impressive. Top four in every race so far this season. I know he's not leading the championship, but it has been really impressive. And I know Scott Dixon is not that super. He's, he's close enough, but he's not right there for the championship. But Scott Dixon is still right there because uh, I think there have been some bobbles in qualifying not related to Scott Dixon. And he has helped them recover on race day by scoring good points. 
Well, you mentioned uh, Power not being in the lead. Uh, he is in fourth place, but only 10 points out of the lead for those that, that don't keep close track. The difference between first and second in a race with no bonus points factored in is 10 points. So, you know, finish second, finish first, you know, you got a chance to jump uh, the, the three guys ahead of you, Pelot leading the way, uh, followed by McLaughlin, Newgarden, and then Power. So it's really close. Uh, Pato Award, Scott Dixon, you know, this is a really good balanced start to the season. We've seen Chevrolet win all four races, but but legitimately there's about six or seven guys that are maybe even as deep as eight that are truly in the fight for this championship. I know it's only four races in of a 17 race schedule, but it looks competitive because it has been. And yes, again, Chevrolet has been, been probably the stronger of the two manufacturers, or at least with the drivers, um, you know, finishing in those positions, but, but, you know, and Team Penske's won three of the four races, but it's really deep and it's really competitive, and that's what we like to see heading to the month of May in Indianapolis. What do you make of Pato Awards' turnaround? Um, you know, as I mentioned on the broadcast a few times, he's in his happy place. He has agreed to a new contract and has decided he's going to change his outlook. So let's dig a little deeper. Is this guy this good that all he has to do is decide I'm going to refocus and everything turns around? Because it, it basically, I think, happened on Saturday night before Long Beach. After a disappointing qualifying in a place where it's difficult to pass, he makes up half a dozen positions and gets a pretty decent result, which is what he told me going in. That's all I need right now. From where we're at, I just want to finish in the top six or so, and I'll feel like that's a good day. And then here going into this weekend, even better. He starts on the front row and wins the race. Is it as simple as that for him? If he just stays focused, he's going to be difficult to beat? Well, I think there are people in life, and whether that's in racing or in, in another sport or even your day-to-day -day job, I think I think your outlook, I think the attitude that which you come to the office every day is important. Uh, I think people who who have a, you know, you, you referred to as a happy outlook. Uh, I think a positive energy about themselves will, will do well. And I think Pato is, is among the most emotional drivers in this field. I think he thrives on it. I also think it derailed him in those first two races. He was conflicted about mm -hmm. the possibilities of where he was going to drive in 2023. Wasn't happy with his team, not necessarily the, the crew members and, and the decision makers on the car, but with the management, you know, they had supposedly, well, they had, they had made an offer to Colton Herta to, to be a test, do some testing in Formula One. And, and that offer was to Pato, but he wanted to, you know, a better deal for 2023. And he, he thought he shouldn't be on a rookie contract anymore. And he was frustrated by that. I think as you look at Will Power, it's a sim similar thing. P Power has been very emotional over the years too. He's had, you know, if you do a, a highlight clip of, of Kevin Lee interviews over the last uh, three or four years, <laughs> Will Power makes that list. You know, he's, he's, had, yeah. <laughs> he's had some outbursts. And I think what we've seen from him, and yes, he's he's performed well in races. And obviously he's he's gone third, fourth, fourth, fourth in the first four races. But what you've seen from him is, is not an overreaction when things didn't go well. He qualified 19th on on Saturday. And, and that would have been one of those moments where, where you might overreact that you might let the emotion of the moment get to you. I didn't see any of that from him. I saw him get, put his head down. I saw him uh, focus on the job at hand and, and he just started passing race cars. I don't think what you're describing with, with uh, Pato award and I've added willpower to this. I don't think that really does anything for Alex Pillow, for example. I don't think that's the way Joseph Newgarden or Scott Dixon drives. Even Rena's VK or Grosjean Erickson kind of go down the list. But I do think those two drivers in particular, when they're spurred a little bit, I think they get up in the seat just a little bit more. If they have handled it properly, I think you can see real positive energy and positive results. And, and that's what we saw from those two guys uh, on this particular weekend. And, and yeah, I think Pato is going to be very uh, difficult to beat. I th that isn't to say he's going to win it. We've seen him the last couple of years finish in the top three or four of the championship. 
and he certainly has the talent to do that. He's not in a big hole to start the season. I think he'll be fine, and and I think he'll he'll go to the last race with a chance to win the championship. Will he win it? I don't know. There's three or four other guys in there that are just mighty good, and I would start with Polo and Newgarden, and and obviously Dixon is somewhat of a factor as well. But uh, but yeah, I think positive energy has been very good for Pato Award. I'm not surprised by the turnaround. You bring up something I hadn't thought about. Someone needs to put together a mixtape of all the angry drivers I've interviewed or pointed comments over the years from, you know, Will throwing his water bottle off my shoes last year at Detroit to to Dario and Will going back to whatever that was, 2011. Uh, I'm going to guess we've got a couple of dozen good ones. And and one of them was yesterday afternoon with Graham Rahal. Not tirades or tantrums, but sometimes just uh, angry drivers offering really pointed comments. Sam reminds me in my year, yeah, one of the top ones, one of the uh, R-rated ones with, was Elio after the morning warm-up at Long Beach last year on the contact with, with Alexander Rossi. So that, that'd be fun to watch. I want to go back to Pato Award. Uh, in a Victory Lane interview, he says, I was at war with my team. <laughs> and you, you, you go back to the Zach Brown comment. Uh, I saw it again. In um, maybe David Malsher Lopez story in motorsport.com today, you know, Zach Brown back in early March saying, oh, everybody's making too much of this. This is just uh, created by the media. Uh, no, it was created by the driver. And he reminded us again, even after everything is all hunky dory to point out, I was at war with my team. Wow. I still just say, wow, that he's telling us this good for us. Yeah, good for us as 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 observers, as fans, as journalists. Again, I would I would help him with his sentence there. He wasn't at war with his team. He was at war with his management. Upper and, management. Yep. Yeah, upper management. And so, you know, he, he felt slighted. Uh, he certainly didn't like that while he was in the middle of trying to get a better contract, which, by the way, we've all been in that situation at one time or another. We'd like a little more money. We'd like our benefits to be a little better. I'm not saying that now, Roger Penske. I'm saying that in the in the course of my career. And and so, you know, sometimes that gets the best of you. And he clearly uh, was you know, off his focus. And, and he would admit that he has admitted that. And so I think once he gets his, his focus, right. Yeah. I think he's as good as anybody in this sport. Now he qualified well in this particular case. Um, you, you know, I'm not surprised that he beat uh, Renus VK in this race. You just detailed one of the reasons, one of the mistakes, if you will, that, that VK made, but I am surprised he was able to kind of hold off and 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 leapfrog Alex Pelot because Pelot has been unflappable in these races over the last uh, you know really calendar year. In fact, we'll get to that stat in later on in the show. Uh, but you know he he took advantage of the situation of a good race car. He was he was up in the seat as they say, up on top of the wheel. And when you've got a driver that's spirited like he is, you can only see good results. And I think, you know, that's where he stands. And I'm not sure it works as well at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the oval, but on a road course, that can be a difference. I think one of the reasons why Pelot couldn't get them is I think Chevy on road and street courses, at least right now, is just a little bit better. Not much. It's still really close, but they're just a little bit better than Honda is at this point. So that's going to be one to watch. Uh, from, from people I talked to this weekend, on and more importantly off the record no one really knows what we're going to see in the competitive standpoint from chevy versus honda at the indianapolis motor speedway one idea is that you know let's be honest as people would tell me both sides don't show you everything they have they turn the power and the engines down just a teeny teeny bit in testing because they don't want to show what they have they just want to allow their teams to get a good read on where things are at and work on balance and making the race car good. And then they'll both likely bring just a little bit more when it's needed. So that's going back to what Will Power said uh, to me at the end of the Peacock show after the test session. Yeah, the car's good. The race car is going to be good enough, but we don't know if we have the outright pace we need to qualify up front. And we probably won't know that 
until we get to Fast Friday. And really, we probably won't know until we go out and make one of our, what, at least three qualifying runs if you, you want to make the poll and win the poll. Uh, but th- this is all fascinating. I guess I'll give – did you want to jump in there? No, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to give an update on where contract things stand from what I know. I talked to Pato for 10 minutes or so on Friday about that kind of situation. I think most of this has been shared. So it, it is interesting as I shared the details with some of my uh, my friends that have been in the business longer than I have that, all right, you've got sort of a deal in principle, but if you've turned it over to the attorney's to finish things up, it's not quite done. And 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 if here was the other point, he said it may take a little bit of while before this is finalized. If it's going to take a little while, then you're not quite there yet. Um, and as Townsend joked after the race, you just won a race. If it's not signed, can we reconsider a couple of things? But he said I told them what I want from a big picture standpoint, and they said okay. I told my dad and my attorney the other things that are important, and it's up to them to finish this off. So is it likely going to happen? Almost certainly, but there's a reason why, generally speaking, teams don't announce these kind of things until they're done because things can go sideways. But in this case, it was important on both sides to come up with something to share publicly and to obviously it started with Pato needs to feel comfortable and then Pato, Yeah, go, go ahead and feel free to share this. So people stop asking you if you're going to be a free agent, if you're going to go to another team that was in everyone's best interest, but I would just leave a teeny, teeny, teeny bit of caution there that until something, if they haven't worked out all the finer details, it's not a hundred percent done yet. I would agree with that. Uh, and as I was listening to you, I'm not sure McLaren was as interested in, in, in Pato sharing that with the rest of the, the you know, the fan base and, and the media as much as they wanted to have him say it out loud for his own sake, you know, yeah. for his own edification, not so much for everyone else's, but just so that he, if he believed it, it must be so. And if he believed it, get him up in the seat and here we go. And only good things could happen. You know, at that point, you know, coming into the Long Beach race on Sunday, I think they had to think there had to be a 70% chance that this was going to be a positive spin on the weekend uh, results-wise. And I would say them knowing him as well as they do, they weren't surprised by by what happened uh, this weekend at Barber. Did they think he would win the race? Mm, that seems like a, a tall ask. But for him to have a good weekend and, and really, you know, get up in the in the seat and drive drive the wheels off of it, I think they expected that because he's in a good place and you can see it. You, you know, some drivers carry it better than, better than others. He shows it with everything he does. And, and here's maybe something that worked out to Pato's advantage. Some drivers, some athletes, whatever the sport is, can – tune out unhappiness better than others and still perform. Sometimes they may even use that discord to their advantage that I'm going to show them and I'm going to have all kinds of offers. It was starting to become clear that Pato may not be one of those, that he needs to be in his happy place to perform at his best. Now he might've been able to refocus and, and figure that out. I, I suspect he would have at some point said, you know what? Uh, I, I better shut up about, you know, being a free agent and wanting to go somewhere else. I'd better perform or I won't have any other options. But there is a scenario where maybe McLaren had to give him a little more than they originally wanted because this was race one and he was unhappy. It's one thing when you get midway through the season and it looks like it's going to go the other way. But if you have an entire season of discontent, You've thrown away a season that you came in hoping was a potential championship season. So it was in their best interest to, to maybe maybe uh, give a little more than they wanted. Or let's just be vague and say, well, we'll, we'll yes, you're good. we're going to take care of you and we'll sign it later in the year. That's why I'd want to go ahead and get some things on paper as soon as possible if I'm Pato. Because I still don't know what other great options guaranteed are out there right now. Some might become available down the road, but I don't know that anything 
is going to be available combining a competitive standpoint with a financial standpoint, putting both of those together, that would be better than what, what Errol McLaren SP can offer at this point. And then the other side of that is, um, you know, the Alexander Rossi situation, whoever leaked that to Jenna Fryer did not do him any favors that this is bad, <laughs> that, that no one is, by the way, in the paddock, uh, everyone believes that he is headed to Errol McLaren SP. This is going to be the worst kept secret all season. Do I know that that's where he's headed? I do not. Uh, I do not. I do not have a source on this other than common sense and enough people and talking to enough people that I believe, I don't know whether it's signed, agreed to, or it's going to be, but everyone believes that's where it's headed. And generally speaking, this would have been kept quiet until at least June, but whoever leaked that, I think did not do Andretti Autosport or Alexander Rossi any favors. I do not think it was Alexander Rossi. I do not think it was Michael Andretti because this does not serve them well. The whole team knows the driver is leaving at the end of the season. Yeah, I agree with that. But, you know, I've been in the spot of the journalist and you're doing the best to to, f- to flush out the news. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're doing your job, uh, but you're right. It's going to be a struggle for them. I thought he handled some of the disappointment of the weekend. Uh, you know, I thought he handled pretty well. Uh, he's he's had a better outlook, it seems. The press conferences have gone well, except for when he was asked a line of questioning and the, re- and the reporter thought he was Colton Herta and started asking him questions about, you know, Formula One, and I actually I don't really? remember specifically what the question was, but Alexander was much kinder than I expected him to be, and just politely said, uh, I, "I'm Alexander Rossi, not Colton Herta." When was this? Uh, that would have been the Friday press conference. So this weekend, yes, oh this weekend. Yeah, I didn't. Oh, by the way, it, when it I was say one of those, whoever... situ- it was one Go of those ahead. situations where I would have expected. Uh, Rossi to give a, a very classic Rossi response, which would have been priceless, but he was very kind. And and I do appreciate that. Uh, the reporter in question isn't around a great deal. Used to be, but hasn't been around a great deal lately. And I don't know how he made that mistake. Colton versus Alex is, is quite the difference, but Alex handled it very professionally. Uh, I, I think... Rossi will be able to handle this. He, he is one of those that is probably best equipped to be able to handle a really odd situation, an uncomfortable situation like this. So I'm not saying that his season is over. I'm just saying it's been made more difficult for everyone. The team is still going to try to win. I think he still has a, a good relationship with everyone. And generally, everyone understands the nature of the business. It's just uncomfortable. And when I said whoever leaked this didn't do any many favors, I'm not talking about the journalist. The journalist is doing the job. It's the source because Jenna Fryer does not write this in an Associated Press story if she doesn't have a really, really good source. And I know she didn't say it firm. It was still kind of rumor says, but uh, I, I believe I will be shocked if she's wrong about that, putting that in print. That's more than a tweet. It's more than a radio show. So whoever told her that, did not help Alexander Rossi because they know she's going to have to report that. Maybe they thought it was off the record. Who knows? But you, you kind of have a sense that, and Jenna's been around long enough. I'm going to guess she knew whether it was off the record or not. Well, sometimes people tell you things for their own good too, by the way. Exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> and it it is disruptive to the team. So that tells me it was, a, you know, based on that logic, and I'm not saying that is the logic, but I would say it's it's 50-50 that it didn't come from the team, and it, and it was told in a way that the person would have known it would have been disruptive. So, you know, those things happen as well. That's why as a reporter you're always, you know, seeking more than one voice because you don't know what the motives and the objectives are of the person telling you things. Why did they tell you? Why did they tell you now? You know, what are the what are the impact of the information that you have in your hand? And so all those things factor into to basically making sure you've got enough sourcing to weed out the the motives that might be involved. It's not necessarily just 
team owners, personnel, leadership in, in other sports, it's almost always agents. And the reason that agents will leak things to reporters is because they want to curry favor with those reporters so that those reporters will promote their clients when other opportunities and, and speak nicely of them. It is, you know, this, this is the shady part of the business, but it is a scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. When you're talking, I'm talking really more about stick and ball sports, but if you wonder how the the big insiders in the NBA and the NFL get their information, it's from the agents, and it's because the agents want to have that reporter on their side. And we've seen a few uh, public instances where those reporters have been caught out in the middle of some things doing the favors in return. So uh, just a different side of the story. That doesn't as, apply as, as much in motorsports. There are agents and managers. I'm pretty sure it's not Alexander Rossi's agent because he represents one IndyCar client. So he's not worried about helping other IndyCar clients. So it would have been some other driver's agent, uh, if that's the case, that wants to let everybody know there's a driver that's off the market. Come and get my driver. And the other thing is people just like to talk. And they and I, w- I would yeah. usually say they like to have their name in print. In this case, they like to have the information that they shared. They like to see that in print. So it, and that it worked comes, well for you for a long time, didn't it? It did. It worked really well. <laughs> so I know the game. I know the game really well. And, uh, you know, regardless, it, it hasn't helped uh, it's it's just made it uncomfortable, I'm sure. Alex will handle it fine. He's a pro, and he, he has a great relationship with all those guys at Andretti. He'll be fine. They'll be fine. They all know it. It's a business, uh, but it's awkward. I still think he'll win races this year. I think he'll win multiple races this year with that team, but it's still just an odd scenario and less ideal than it could be. So a little tangent there that, that might or might not have been interesting. Uh, we'll get into some other aspects, including – the uh, dust-up between Romain Grosjean and Graham Rahal, up next on Trackside. Hi, this is Graham Rahal, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You want honesty? That's our guy, Graham Rahal. Television and radio gold yesterday. Thanks for staying with us. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, need more racing this month here in Indy? Look no further than the Tom Wood Group Indianapolis Speedrome, powered by Lincoln Tech and Circle City Raceway. On Saturday night, the Indianapolis Speedrome will again feature family-friendly racing action, great food, free parking, and big outrageous fun. Topped off by the Speedrome's world-famous wild and unpredictable figure eight and the return of big wheel races for kids ages five and under. Very first motorsport. I don't know motorsport doesn't count. First race I ever announced, Kurt, was a big real race on WMDH Radio in Newcastle, Indiana. That started my motorsports career when I was a junior in college. I announced a big wheel race, and look where that can get you. So, kids, take every opportunity you have. Let me get back to the read. (laughs) Uh, Ages five and under are free. It's affordable family entertainment. You just can't beat this deal. An adult ticket costs only $10. Uh, Actually, kids eight and under are free, so the big wheel races are for kids five and under. Information is available at speedrome.com, and that now brings us to our Speedrome CCR news of the day. So here's the bad news, I guess. Uh, The bad news for Alex Polo's championship challengers is that he is back in front of the IndyCar standings for the first time since he clutched the trophy back in... Uh, what was that, September. He's back on top for the first time. In the past calendar year, as we head to Indianapolis for the road race, the GMR Grand Prix next next week, Alex Below has finished in the top three in 11 of the past 16 races. That's 69% of the time. When Will Power says he's been as solid as a rock, uh, Will Power is probably right because Alex Pillow has the championship lead, may not give it up. So he's uh, he's on a roll and he's consistent, and that's not good news for the competition. And that is our news of the day. And now at Indy's Dirt Track, Circle City Raceway at the Marion County Fairgrounds, sprint cars dominate the month of May. On Sunday the 15th, the Jonathan Bird's 410 sprint cars headline a full night of action along with Speed 2 Midgets, Outlaw Micros, and the Shirley Unlimited Snow Company 
UMP Modifieds making their season debut. And during Indy Race Week, USAC National Sprint Cars will be racing the 25th and 26th with Indy Midget Week on June 8th. Find out more at CircleCityRaceway.com. That's the Indianapolis Speed Drum and Circle City Raceway, your Indianapolis racing destinations. I should pre-read those before I start. So they were helping me out and had some things phonetically for people that weren't motorsports people. For example, USAC was Y-O-U-S-A-C-K. For those that aren't familiar, I am familiar. And U-M-P was spelled Y-O-U-E-M. So that's what threw me a little bit. So normally those kinds of things are welcome. And if you pre-read it, it would probably make things go a little bit better. But I'll have practice and it'll be better tomorrow night. All right. Uh, so maybe I'll do this first. Uh, and normally I, before we get to Graham and Grosjean, the reason that unfortunately not everyone saw it immediately because there was a little technical snafu. So I often try to reply to emails and direct messages. Here's your blanket response. I'm not because there's too many. And I will remind everyone again, as much as I wish I ran the network, and especially was in charge of digital, it probably doesn't do a lot of good. I know you're frustrated, and I may be the only person that you are somewhat familiar with on the broadcast, but Diffie and I and Townsend uh, can't really make those changes. Now, as I've said before, it's not a bad – you got a chance if something's wrong by tweeting the booth because they're sitting there, and they sometimes look at their their Twitter during commercials. Pit people, not so much. So emailing me uh, a nasty email that your TV isn't working and and telling me that the demand that my boss is fix it or just stop. Yeah, that, that's probably not going to happen. I'm probably not going to make a whole lot of demands to my bosses. They were aware. It's unfortunate. It stinks. They're not happy about it. I'm sure. I don't know what happened. It doesn't matter to me what happened because I can't fix it. The key is, do they know what happened? I feel pretty confident that that's been a topic of discussion over the last 26, 27 hours or so. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that kind of stuff happens. It's not great. It's disappointing. I thought it was a fantastic post-race show. It was archived. You know, it's not ideal. I know we want things when we want it, but it is up there if you want to go and see it. And it's probably worth your time because it worked out perfect. Marty talked to Grosjean. I talked to Graham, and fireworks ensued. It did, and and let's get to the fireworks. I was just going to say that we were able to post a lot of that content. Uh, one because we have the back end feed, which allows mm -hmm. us to grab that information quicker quicker than the than than you would be able to put the replay up. So the good news is, I think most of us saw it on social media. It was good. It was entertaining. We got Honest Graham. Does Townsend want Honest Graham or do I have to behave today? That's how he started the conversation. When that happens, sign me up. And I said, we want honesty. We like honesty. So here's what happened. Uh, Graham was trying an outside pass of Scott McLaughlin into five. So that left the door open on the inside for Grosjean. Didn't quite get up all the way inside. Um, was somewhat there, and they made contact. And my first response would have been there would have been, eh, it happens. You know, th this is a, a contact sport in that area. That didn't seem anywhere out of the ordinary. And now I will defer to the people who have driven race cars. And not after the interviews, but immediately immediately when Grosjean, as they were starting to straighten up, veered right and hit Graham again, both Townsend and James Hinchcliffe took note of that and were very clear. And Grosjean said something along the lines, I couldn't understand him, but, but, but Hinch did, pointing blame at, uh, at Graham. And Hinchcliffe immediately said, you know, no, that's not the case. That's clearly his fault. So then Graham unloaded. Uh, on on the post race and and Grosjean was interviewed first and he smiled and said just a racing incident wasn't on purpose you know Graham even said on the radio he did that on purpose and luckily here on IndyCar.com a journalist named Kurt Cavan has written a story with some quotes I just think it's clear just watch the in car camera Ray Hall said look at the angle of his head. 
When I can see in the mirror his head is directed at me when the track is going the other way, it's pretty self-explanatory. I gave him room. Look, we're already straight right there. Why are you turning into me? Your right front wheel is at my left rear. There's no excuse for that. Here, what? Look at him. Just releases the car to hit me. And then here again, boom, you're straight. <laughs> and on the radio, he had said, hit me on purpose. Grosjean said there was a lot of wheel banging because it's so hard to pass. It's good racing. It's IndyCar wheel-to-wheel action. So there's your story tell. And then I, I later asked about, you know, do you think race controls to do something? And Graham said, uh, you know, if, if they're not going to, then they better not penalize us if we run him off the road. And then he went a little further. And those inside the paddock, I think, know this. And, you know, I, I, after I said it during one of the Peacock six-hour shows, I should I have said that? I don't know. You tend to – the filter comes off after you've been on the air for four or five hours. But I think in one of our – Somehow a question was phrased to me from the booth and Grosjean came up and I said, which I believe to be true, that um, some of the other drivers have gotten a little weary of the attention paid to Ramon Grosjean. Have you sensed this is all? Did you catch any of that during media days? Yeah, yeah no, I, yeah. I think there there was a couple comments when he was named most popular driver or favorite driver, or whatever the phraseology was in the fan poll that really Grosjean is your favorite driver, most popular driver. I think mm-hmm. that rubs some of the established veterans a, a little bit raw. And I think they get, some get annoyed. Some don't care. Some get a little bit annoyed at the amount of marketing behind that driver. Now I think from IndyCar side of things, you know, I would probably look at who's the most popular driver and when the, the, the numbers do say it's the driver of this car, Romain Grosjean, I'm probably going to use him in a lot of my marketing efforts. But, you know, and, and I've, I've even mentioned that to a couple of people. Hey, right now the fans like him. He's popular. And he's one of the reasons that the ratings were up last year because of Drive to Survive. People knew who he was. And frankly, because what happened to him? Had he not caught on fire, there would have been a teeny bit of a bump because of Drive to Survive, but otherwise he would have been another Formula One driver that was looking for a job, and I don't think there would have been much attention paid to him. So good for him for embracing it because it has given him a second career. And he has a a very large social media following, which cannot be discounted. You're trying to reach the people that he has reached. And he Mm -hmm. and Jimmy Johnson have huge fan bases. We have to acknowledge that. And it shows in the stats. And he has a good personality. He's a fun interview. He's engaging. The fans took to him. So it is what it is. But I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago because that's what I was hearing. And Graham went ahead and went a few steps forward and further, and he did not have a good reputation when he was in Formula One at times. I wasn't paying close enough attention to really be able to get into it. You know, the one I meant to look this up again because I want to see it, but the one that always stands out, I think I meant to ask Marcus Erickson this, uh, but I think he blamed Marcus Erickson, you know, he for something, and then they went back to the video and Marcus wasn't anywhere nearby uh, and, and there was no other car involved, so... Yeah, but that's basically what Graham said, is that the reputation is what it was in Formula One, and people are seeing it here, and we're all getting a little bit tired of it. So good for them, being honest. Grosjean will be fine. He's a big boy. He'll handle this. He'll deal with it. And Graham will be fine because he's a big boy. He's honest. He's not worried about any blowback at all. So this is great. We like to have people that aren't worried about things like that, and those are two drivers that fit into that category. And it's good for us. Just a little tension is good for us. And, you know, we saw the animation between Graham Rahal and and Alexander Rossi, uh, not directed at Rossi, but trying to explain the situation of Grosjean bumping him. Uh, Rahal was pretty demonstrative. So we've we've seen it. He's talking it up, and it's going to be something to watch as we move forward. All right, let's check into Twitter. I haven't looked at this to see what we have going on. Jeff Hildebrand, 29, at Football OC. Qualifications continue to have issues, red flags, gap hunting, etc. When was the last time Quali had a format of one car at a time on track? This eliminates all those issues. This seems the fairest format. Uh, great for, for all you guys do for the sport we love. 
probably in road and street course racing, I'm going to say around 05-ish. So they started yeah, road probably. course racing in 05. F- from the Indy Racing League perspective. From the Yes. I know they did single car qualifying in 05. They might have in 06. So somewhere in that range was when they started tweaking the format because it took a long time and it was boring. <laughs> it was boring and it took a long time. So that's the other, alt- yes, that would be more fair, but it still wouldn't be totally fair because there might be more rubber on the track later and, you know, it'd be based on the draw and on points and all of that, which is the way you do it in oval qualifying. So you can deal with that, but mostly it's just boring and it's really time consuming and knockout qualifying has become a show in and of itself. He's right. It is difficult. There are, it's, it's the hardest thing to officiate in the weekend. You've been up there in race control. I've talked to those people. It is the most difficult they thing they deal with deciding who's impeding, who's blocking and so forth in those sessions. Agreed. But I, but this is an entertainment and it is wildly entertaining. You know, in Formula One, we like the qualifying session sometimes more than the race itself. Now, you know, the the energy uh, system has, has allowed for uh, a better show on race day. But in IndyCar, it's been the racing that was so good, and the qualifying sessions weren't that interesting. But it's it's gotten closer to being even now. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, look, I really look forward to those qualifying sessions. I understand the issue. They've talked about reducing the number of cars on track in a given session. Maybe have, you know, instead of having, you know, 12 and 12, you know, you just maybe you make it 8, 8, and 8, you know, something like that to reduce the number of cars in a particular session. But, you know... It's 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 interesting, and that's what we want. They ought to be able to figure it out because I, I pay attention to the Junior Formula Series, and there are 20 cars in that series all at a time, and I'm watching one car in particular, and I know in four qualifying sessions this year, I don't feel like he's been impeded. Now, red flag has come out at the wrong time that impacted my driver that, that hurt, but I haven't seen – you know, there was a couple of times when he had – uh, traffic in front of him. He gapped, slowed down, let some people past him, got in a gap. It also helps that they're all really close to the same speed. The entire field is separated by about a second, so it doesn't. But that's IndyCar, too. There's there's two cars that are a little bit off the pace, so figure out what those cars are, avoid them, and make a go of it. And if you want to sit and wait for a little while, to when the track is the best, then you've taken that risk. And, and that's how Colton it goes. did. And Colton Herta did. That's what they did in this particular qualifying session in round two. They waited for the traffic to clear. He didn't get to have the maximum lap that he was hoping for because of because of Callum Eilat's spin. In, or was it uh, Marcus Erickson? Uh, Eilat. I guess it was Eilat. And well, now I've forgotten. Anyway, no, it, there was, was a, it, it was it Erickson, was Erickson. I think that's spun and qual well i know he's spun in qualifying but that might not have been the one we had a few no it was we had a it lot was of erickson. things happen over the weekend okay it was erickson and by the way we've got four more nights this week to to dissect the rest of this race weekend and look ahead to uh the gmr grand prix grand prix but in this case it was erickson and it cost uh colton Herta a chance to advance to the firestone fast six so it those things happen you take risk All right, I got more tweets. One will address some pending news, I think, coming up in a moment on Trackside. Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. There's your latest winner. Thanks for staying with us. 93.5107.5, the fan. Beyond the Bricks, Jay Query and Mike Thompson. More Indy 500 conversation coming up in just a matter of moments. At CamSoupFL, tweeted at KevinLee23. By the way... Hashtag trackside helps archive things throughout the month of May, especially if once we get into on-track activity, I'm never sure if it's directed towards something said on the TV or Peacock broadcast or otherwise. So that helps me. Uh, He says, hearing there's going to be an announcement Tuesday, 33rd entry dragon speed question mark. So I didn't really bother asking anyone about this this weekend. So I don't know specifically, but I would expect something soon Maybe it's tomorrow. Here's what I think is going to happen. 
I've not checked in with the Cusick people. I, I talked with them when we had the Peacock shows and they had a deadline of about a week ago. So this may, may have been agreed to a long time ago for their money to still be available to support Stefan Wilson. Uh, from talking to Ricardo Junco's, it didn't sound like it was going to be him. So if it's not Ricardo Junco's, it's, it's got to be A.J. Foyt Racing because I don't know who else has equipment available. And, or it's A.J. Foyt Racing leasing a car to someone else. But I, when I did talk to Larry a couple of weeks ago, one, he was like, I'm not sure we really want to do this. We really want to focus on our cars, but we also want to help if we can. Uh, so we're early in the process. But he did say we have been okay in the past with leaving our name on the cars and A.J. Foyt entry and it being run by someone else, like what happened for Pippa Man with Kloss and Marshall. So that's led me to my best guess in this is Dragon Speed will supply the personnel in an A.J. Foyt racing entry, and it maybe is co-branded A.J. Foyt Dragon Speed. I would think that's likely going to be the case if it's a full Dragon Speed crew that they're going to be involved in that. And that Stefan Wilson would be the driver. And Cusick Motorsports and his partners would be the sponsors. Maybe Dragon Speed also has a little bit of funding available to help because I'm not sure. So what I was gathering is that there was a bigger budget available from Don Cusick and his partners a few months ago. But no one would commit to giving them an entry, an engine lease, a team. And that has waned. You know, since that time, they have entered Stefan Wilson in the uh, endurance races for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship as a teammate with Catherine Legg and Rob Ferriel. So that's where some of that budget went. So I don't know if they're able to find it. I don't know if it's going to be a wink-wink. Penske Entertainment is helping. I'm not sure that that still applies anymore. I'm not sure that that applies. I think that's been the case in the past. I don't honestly know. You know, I suppose if they had to, they might, but I think that's less than ideal. I lost Kurt on the um, FaceTime we had, so I'm not sure if you're no, still I'm there here. or not, but I'm we're here. about out of time. Okay, I'm sorry. So that's what it I was, know. Anything else we've missed I, tonight? No, and I think I think you've put the puzzle pieces together about as well as anyone could, and that would be how I would describe it as well. I don't know for sure, uh, but... I think we're going to see that 33rd car on the track. So that's all that ultimately really matters here. IndyCar fan asks, is there going to be a pod for Beyond the Bricks? That is a question for someone else that's involved in that program. And Sam tells me, yes, but we prefer you listen live. And it's coming up in just a moment. We'll see you tomorrow night at 7. Uh, we may have a couple of guests I think are going to happen, but I'm not certain. We'll get into that more tomorrow night at 7. For Kurt and Sam, I'm Kevin. This is Trackside on 93.5107.5 The Fan.